Hi, I'm Elise Lunen, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop podcast. Today's guest is Kate Bowler. But before we get to my conversation with her, I want to thank our friends at Sakara who helped make today's episode possible. We just hosted a wellness event at our headquarters here in LA. To start the day, Sakara hooked us up with breakfast, which was a big hit. Sakara Life is a wellness company that believes eating healthy can and should be enjoyable. And they believe that nutritious food has the power to help keep us well. Sakara offers an organic plant-based nutrition program designed to help you look and feel like your best self. And above all, they believe that food is a lifestyle, not a diet. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash goop or enter code goop20 at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash goop to get 20% off your first order. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Kate Bowler is a historian at the Duke Divinity School, the host of her own podcast, Everything Happens, and the author of Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It's a beautiful, honest, heartbreaking, and at times quite funny story of how she got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in her mid-30s. Kate is one of the last podcasts that I got to do in person down in North Carolina before COVID, and I can think of no person who I enjoyed being around more. Today, Kate takes us through the surprising revelations she uncovered upon learning her diagnosis. She grappled with feeling disconnected from her body, wondering if this was something she deserved, and trying to figure out how to let go of what she couldn't control. She shares her surprise in realizing that just having cancer is a lot of extra work and that she spent a lot of time trying to be the best cancer patient. Through it all, Kate searched for the lessons that would explain to her what all of this means, only to come to the conclusion that we as humans are not problems that need fixing. We are humans that are made to be loved. I feel like I'm in this huge community of sufferers who, who look at the world with like a little surprise that it was them, and then a lot of hope that somewhere in the middle of this, there's going to be something beautiful. But they're all really tired of yeah. trying to learn a lesson. I'll let Kate take it from here. But just as a heads up, this one might make you cry. Well, I have to say, your book is, I'm sure you've been told many times, very beautiful and very funny. Thanks. I laughed a lot 
It was a little embarrassing. Someone was like, what are you? I sat on the plane with a woman who, and I, I've listened to your podcast, which I love. And she was like, what are you reading? Because I was giggling. I was like, oh, well, it's she. It's a story about a woman diagnosed with stage four cancer in her mid-30s. and But it's really funny. And she was like, oh, that's great. She's like, do you want a wet wipe for your um, seat? But it is really it's beautiful and I know you're sort of in this what must feel like such a strange limbo but yeah but it doesn't seem to have deterred you from I mean how has that yeah changed you man well because like time seemed very not to sound philosophical but like time seemed very linear before yeah like life kind of seemed a little bit more like a ladder like, at least you work really hard to climb. And if you fall back down, like, at least you know the direction you're going in. Yeah. And then I spent the last several years just trying not to die. And that really changed my view of, like, how it how it feels to just, like, live and to want to make the most of things. And yeah. so it felt a little bit more like time was more like a circle. Like, you're kind of in a loop because I have to... I live and then I have another scan and then they tell me how I'm doing and then I live again. So it's been a weird, it's been a weird limbo, uh, but I think I'm almost getting the hang of it. Yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. But then you also talk, I thought this was not to completely jump around, but of course, being so goopy, you talk about, uh, (laughs) you talk about this moment where you were reading an article either about near-death experiences, or I don't know if you were on that giant site that's a a compository of all people's near-death experiences. And then you say, like, you write, I'm sure I would have ignored the article if it had not yet, if it had not reminded me of something that happened to me, something that I felt uncomfortable telling anyone. It seemed too odd and too simplistic to say what I knew to be true, that when I was sure I was going to die, I didn't feel angry. I felt loved. And do you... Stay yeah. there? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, even thinking that, I just get, like, very emotional. I, I had no I had no cancer in my family, so I had no sense that my body was glitchy and that it was trying to murder me. Right. And then when you're in the hospital, you go from being this person who wears blazers to being this person who's in rough cotton, and everything about you is getting taken apart. Yeah. So you don't recognize your stomach anymore because it got carved up, and you are just everything about yourself is unfamiliar and it feels terrible and the weirdest thing about almost dying is you tend to feel at least i did really worthless Mm. like everything about you isn't special or beautiful anymore because it isn't like certainly not beautiful (laughs) so it felt really overwhelming to me not to feel like a throwaway yeah because a lot of the process of like You know, you're like sitting in the bed and you're in the rough cotton and like a doctor comes in and he's the same age and he's like pulling open your gown and he's like mashing around and you're just like, uh, you're just, you're kind of like grayscale. You're just like, you fade into nothing because you're a patient and they're doing a job, but you're just like, no, no, one second ago, like I was a person. And so feeling that particularity is like, it was just, it meant so much to me to suddenly felt so overwhelmingly loved mm. loved by god loved by other people it was this very intense like floaty feeling and i had it for like months and months and just every now and again i still get like a very intense glimpse of it of like 
the world doesn't always know what's beautiful and what to love. But like yeah. every now and then you get like a little sparkle of it. And do you think that's God? I mean, I I think we are like made out of love and yeah. like for and like to be loved. I think that's just why we're on the planet and why we're made with such care, even even when our bodies are making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think we see it when we like see it in each other. We know what it's like to be remade by somebody else's love. Like, man, when I was lying there and I at some point I had like an acne shaped cross on my forehead for the sheer volume of times that like people came in one flagrantly. <laughs> disobeyed visiting rules by saying that they were my pastor (laughs) too just barely like everybody has like anointing oil in their back pocket if you work at a divinity school but just like constantly like blessing me Mm -hmm. and like putting their hands on me and man when you feel like everything about you is like medical and no longer you it just feels so good when other people can like look at you with in like insane love and yeah. still see who you are yeah no it reminds me of an experience that i had which was doing something illegal with drugs and it was an incredibly healing experience with psychedelics and what i kept repeating which i felt was just the most important the most important thing i had ever said in my life was i i I was like, I'm me. I'm not my biology. I'm me. I'm not my biology. And like I was having this energy and lesson in energy where I could sense myself and I could disassociate from my physical body. And I think as women in particular, we're trained or programmed to believe that we can control our bodies. We can make them the size that we want. We can respond to pleasure only when it fits us which is certainly not true. I think for a lot of women who have experienced any sort of sexual boundary crossing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and then our bodies can fail us, right? Yeah, and it feels right. like a moral failing on our parts. And there's this, for me, I was like, there's a distinction. You yeah. know, I am not my body. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, now yeah. I'm like, oh, I sound No, it doesn't high. sound weird at all. I- <laughs> no, no, no. And like, not to be like history professor here, but like there's this ongoing discussion, especially in the Christian tradition about like how our spirit like lives in our flesh and how we're supposed to feel the connection between the two of them. Yeah. And like, it's really hard when, especially as women, our bodies get like burdened mm-hmm. with all this extra garbage about what what shape what color what we're just like a we're a walking value judgment about our ability to be in the world mm-hmm. and i don't think i understood that as intensely as when i got sick and then all of a sudden my body was a problem to be solved yeah and so when people i you know before i was just like kate with some quippy anecdotes about like being a historian and talking about like the mind-body connection in the Christian tradition. I'm great at parties. But like, no, all of a sudden I was like, what did you eat? Like, what's in your past? Do you have negative, like, like, what is it that I have done Mm -hmm. to make my body a problem? Yeah. And like, the answer was, of course, I was never a problem to be solved. I was just a person to be loved. And like, when we when we freight one another and especially one another's pain with that kind of work, like that's dangerous business. Yeah, no, for sure. It's such a, and it's such a complicated, it's a complicated ball too, because I, I do believe that sort of emotion gets trapped in our bodies and trauma gets trapped in our bodies mm-hmm. and that 
like we have to figure out ways to express it that mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. sort of I don't know mm-hmm. how it manifests, mm-hmm. but it feels like of course there's a connection, but it's not as linear. Like That's we right. are not our bodies. It's yeah. not that linear. It's and certainly as I know, I love how you describe it as having magic cancer because your cancer responds to immunotherapy, but it was like <laughs> magic cancer, not like miracle cancer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because like I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. It was all of a sudden, you know, I, I, we knew right away that you couldn't really cut out most of the cancer that I had. Mm. So I was going to be incurable regardless. And so we went through this huge process of just trying to figure out like what options were still available to me. And so because of this like cellular thing I have, um, I was in a small group of people who would be able to respond to some of the first attempts people were having in immunotherapy. And like, I was so like, there was so few of us who could take this drug. And I got that drug so early on that when they sent me the consent form, the doctor still accidentally included all the track changes on the side. <laughs> so I saw they like, <laughs> symptoms may include. It's like a bad, it's like a, a bad prescription drug commercial, <laughs> like diarrhea, constipation, sudden death. And I was like, oh gosh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and so like, I was walking into this knowing that I was always going to be walking up to the edge. Yeah. And that I would have to develop like better language to account for what was in my control and what wasn't. And like I can I can take my medication. I can um, surround myself with good and loving people. I can um, I can eat good food. But like I had to. I mean, this is mostly why I wrote the book is I couldn't believe how much work it was not to just take on all the extra work of trying to be the very best cancer patient because mm. everybody had their solutions. Yeah. Like everybody's cousin has essential oils and wouldn't I be so much better if, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like a professional walking litmus test for other people's theories. And like, it, it took me a minute to figure out like, well, what, like where, where can I stand? Like, where's the place? I always think of it like, where's the place of agency in this? So and that, that, I think that's really complicated work in our culture where we're told that like everything is possible. Yeah. And, like when you're facing death, you know, pretty quickly, like not everything yeah. is possible. In fact, most things aren't possible. So you just have to figure out the little place to stand that just goes like, but what is possible today? Yeah. Like that seemed like if I could figure that out, then I, I couldn't steer too far off the road. Yeah. I would imagine too, for someone like you and just understanding sort of the out again and and the piece that you wrote in the times and the outpouring of both consolation and advice and idiocy that came your way in response but just also having to be that person so like managing yourself yeah. and then your husband and your son yeah and then managing that. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't, <laughs> I'm totally honest. I wasn't, tr- I wasn't ready to do like, to, to do like public work about this topic. <laughs> I was not. It's just that like, uh, you have to understand as a historian, we write books that like roughly 500 people read and we are very grateful for that. And so when we write things, we're just like, and there it is. And then we click send and we're not, I was not ready to have to understand that like this was this that it would touch a nerve about this bigger question in this 
country obsessed with being a meritocracy about whether people get what they deserve. Yeah. And so when you have like a medium young person all of a sudden dying of something that wasn't hereditary, then all, you were like, oh, no, wait, I am a living debate. Yeah. Of whether or not I, I deserve this. Yeah. And then the fact that it's put against this backdrop of your work studying, you know, prosperity gospel is so <laughs> obviously the most ironic thing in the world, right? <laughs> You've had a lot of hands-on healing, whether you wanted it or not, from prosperity gospel you know, ministers. I started being really, like, very obsessed with the prosperity gospel, like the idea that God wants to give you health and wealth and happiness, like very early, because there was this, there was this church that popped up in my little Mennonite community, like on the outskirts of town, it looked like a warehouse. And there was this pastor and he, the congregation gave him a motorcycle and then he drove it around on stage to celebrate a new holiday called Pastor's Appreciation Day. And I was just like, hmm. <laughs> Say more about that. So I ran around because my dad's a historian and like I kind of had a thought maybe I wanted to be a historian. And I was like, who has written about this? And the answer was like, nobody. So I was like, on it. So I ruined all my 20s doing that. I, I mean, every every trip, every family vacation, like honestly, most of the states of this fine country, I visited only to see like the... Holy Land theme park where Jesus is crucified every day at three and resurrected at five or like the golf course shaped like the Ten Commandments where a prosperity preacher lives like that's that's the way I've seen this country. So I was really familiar with this with this whole theology that 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 God would never let you suffer, at least not for long. You just learn the lesson and you get to move on. And then so when I was all of a sudden sick, I was like scrambling. Like, mm -hmm. do I learn a lesson here? Is it me? Because like at 2 p.m., I would tell you, like, it's not me. I'm a really sophisticated person. I understand that cancer just like appears. But like you asked me at 2 a.m. Right. And I'd be like, what did I What did I do? Like, mm -hmm. how can I get out of this? And you're, you're desperate. Bargaining. Oh, man. And like you look at your kid and you think like, in what world? Right. Is my life... Is, is his life going to be okay if I'm not in it? So you're just, you, you're just desperate to find causality, even where there is none. And I was not like well-equipped to think non-causally right. about pain. And no one is, right? It's all about, as you point out, it's about not only is it this really sort of silly argument about fairness, yeah. That is not, yeah. that's nothing that will ever be able to be defined by anyone. Yeah. But it's also our grasp for certainty. And yeah, like life is just not that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just, let me figure out the answer. Let me figure out, like you and I are obviously both good students of life. Like, right. no, no, I'll just figure out the answer. Yeah. And then I'll stay there and I'll do my homework. And then <laughs> you'll release me from this hospital. <laughs> I will get a straight A as, as a patient. Crush it. Crush it. Totally reminds me of like Lisa Simpson in The Sims early on was always like, grade me, grade me, grade me, grade me. And that's, that's how I felt about being a cancer patient. I was uh, like, oh, I will destroy this. Yeah. No. And it's, and I get, you, you write about sort of St. Teresa Vila once said, we can only learn to know ourselves and do what we can, namely surrender our will and fulfill God's will in us. And... It's that surrendering as a virtue. Yeah. Which no, I did not like that. No. Yeah. I, no, I did not like that. And it doesn't always <laughs> seem like the best sense either. No. 
I mean, that's because I mean, even all the cancer language, of course, is like fighting and winning and surviving. And, yeah. I'm doing a 5K for colorectal cancer in a couple weeks, and I was canvassing friends to figure out what our team name should be called. And the only, the only, everyone settled on "We've Got the Runs," just so horrible. But I, I just like you're trying to find this like little place of absurdity in in the middle of all this language of of the idea that like you survive because you are special. Yeah, and like. Trying to give up on the idea of being special. Yeah. That felt hard. Oh, but I don't want you to give up on that idea. <laughs> I, think I, I think I am less special than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But then it's funny because I, I completely related to the, I think it was the Hindi woman who wrote to you after your piece came out saying, well. Don't worry. <laughs> no, but wasn't it sort of like a, this? this happened to you so that you can teach the world oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah there was a lot of hopes that like i got cancer so that i could teach these special magical spiritual lessons yeah yeah no and then there's a lot of impressive <laughs> impressive math and i think that's it though is like we're all trying to run the math on how this turns out in the end yeah yeah and then it, it's sometimes i get confused because like being in this place now and getting to talk about these things you know like everybody knows like one person who's going through the horrible thing yes i feel like i know everyone's one person <laughs> and so like i feel like i'm in this huge community of sufferers who who look at the world with like a little surprise that it was them yeah and then a lot of hope that somewhere in the middle of this there's going to be something beautiful yeah but they're all really tired of yeah. trying to learn a lesson. No, I know. I mean, I know. Oh, we have Lucy Klonathy in, in common, too. She's and, so great. Oh, she's amazing. And just like that, you know, her story. I, You know, we were talking about Nora before we started. She obviously has to come on the podcast. But her story and what she's done for people yeah. and the Hot Young Widows Club. It's amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, my brother's going through it because his husband died he's 39 in his sleep but it's it is yeah but it's so common it's also such a reminder i think of yeah common humanity and and limited time Mm -hmm. and limited resources and in a way just sort of like Mm -hmm. how we should all be operating as though we're going to get a scan every four months or every three months, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a word I really like that I kind of landed on. And it was my, when I was little, my dad my dad would always be like, what Latin word do you think really suits this occasion? <laughs> so just so you know, this is like more in my wheelhouse than it maybe should be. But there's this Latin word for like precariat that we get the word precarious from. But yeah. like it's the idea that like we're given things that could be taken away at any moment. And like the experiencing the world as precarious has given me a little more generosity about like the, just like the contingency that we all live with, like Mm -hmm. that it is there and that it might be gone, but like, it's just that firefly feeling, but like when it's there, it shines so bright. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think we're all feeling this now with, with trying to understand how epidemics will work in this modern world. Yeah. Like we are all much more contingent than we hoped we would be. Yeah. And that 
if we don't start from a place of understanding our vulnerability, we're going to get really confused and really surprised Yeah. every time we feel this way. We'll get back to Kate Bowler in just a second. I recently had nutritionist Kelly Levesque on the podcast, and together we talked about what it means to focus on the positive on our plates. For me, that means putting more attention on nourishing my body and moving away from feeling any guilt or shame about the food choices I make. Similarly, Sakara is a nutrition company that is nourishing our bodies, not restricting, with the healthiest foods in order to feel our best. When we stop thinking we need to deprive ourselves, we can focus on eating foods that nurture us mentally and physically, and they believe in overall wellness, which starts with what we eat. Sakara believes in the ancient healing power of plants, eating vegetables to make up every color of the rainbow, selecting good fats, and paying attention to nutrient density and your body's own intelligence. Their meals are designed to nourish and support a healthy mind and body. Sakara offers an organic nutrition program that delivers fresh, ready-to-eat meals right to your door. Their menu of chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly. You can customize your weekly schedule to best fit your lifestyle. And all of their meals are organic, plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, non-GMO, and contain no refined sugar. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com goop or enter code goop20 at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash goop to get 20% off your first order. Back to my chat with Kate Bowler. It's, it's, it's staggering to me that we are so quick to forget our own fragility. I don't, I mean, I often when I'm in a car, for example, I'm like, oh my God, if I swerved off this road, I would die. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I have those thoughts all... I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm not alone no. in, in being somewhat morbidly obsessed. And yet for so many people, it goes on. I thought some of the most moving or saddening letters that you got, I don't have them here to quote, but are the people who are like, I've lived for so long and I have nothing. I feel mm-hmm. like I've accomplished and I've done nothing. Mm-hmm. And I thought this would amount to more. I thought this would amount to more. Yeah. I thought that... that yeah. Made me cry. That Yeah, me too. I still think of this guy who wrote in just to say, um, you know, I'd made this plan and I thought I could go to school and, you know, because of disability and then chronic illness, it just kept coming apart. And he just, he's in his thirties and he's in his parents' basement and he's saying, he's writing to me just to say like, I thought, I thought this would amount to something. Mm. And like the feeling of not being able to do the work, like not being able to give the gift, Mm. not being able to feel like that when you put your shoulder to something that you can feel it move. That is a feeling that gets taken away really quickly. Yeah. And uh, and those are kind of the ones that break my heart too. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, I was having this conversation a lot when, with my family, when Peter died, because he was so young and had already done so much and was that person for so many people. Yeah. And it's like anyone but but him and my dad, you know, he was like, everyone was sort of like yeah. doing that bargain. Yeah. Like, I wish it had been me. Yeah. And my dad, we were just talking about it. I was like, at what point in life is it not a tragedy? Like, what's the line yes. that crosses, yeah. you know, where yeah. it's, it's okay. Yeah. And... 
Yeah. You know, and my dad was like, well, obviously it wouldn't be a tragedy for me and your mom. Like, you're you're good. Yeah. Like, at this point, I'm just biding my time. But it's true. It's like, when is that moment? And yeah. is it is it have left? Is it is it a longevity game? Yes, totally. Or is it a quality game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do we decide, like, whether our lives amount to something? Yeah. Yeah, how does it feel? What's how long enough? does it take? I think those are big, important questions. And I'm... <laughs> like in your book, you say 50. Oh man, I was always trying to do the math. Yeah. Oh, I like, and I'm very concrete about it. Yeah. I was like, okay. Well, because I mean, as a parent, the math seems really obvious to me. Like take my son's life, just figure out how, like how long to get him launched. Yeah. That's how long I need to last. And before I would have, I would have set the horizon based on like really dumb things. I would have been like, I'll be a fancy professor. Of super cool PhD students. I'll live in a gothic tower of 50 gargoyles. <laughs> like, I'll have the whole plan. I had, like, I found I'll my... paint it gold. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it looks like Trump Towers. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's nuts. And then now, and I count it very differently now. I feel like right away, the one of the only things that gave me a lot of comfort was I realized I knew who to love. Mm. That helped me, like, fill up the space with more beauty yeah without being without being as because you know when you're letting go of different kinds of ways of counting at least like it helped to look right at the people that i knew it was my job to love well and be like all right how are we gonna do this (laughs) yeah oh god and did you ever i mean there's so many funny that my one of my favorite moments is when you're going into surgery and you're holding the hands of your who who does redeem himself, but you're holding the hand you're you're with the doctor who <laughs> the surgeon I hated. Yeah, the surgeon you hated who couldn't diagnose you, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what did you say? Like I will not die looking into your eyes. <laughs> so my mom was like trying to release the grip that I had on the collar of his. <laughs> What's lab coach? She's like, okay, sweetie. <laughs> Amazing. The other line I loved was, oh, there were so many, but when you write to, sometimes I want every know-it-all to send me a note when they face the grisly specter of death, and I'll send them a cat poster that says, hang in there. <laughs> oh, God. I have a lot of... Um, I plan on being very helpful in other people's times of great and abiding pain. <laughs> I've learned like a little more compassion, but I have to admit like every now and then, especially when things are really hard or they're really hard in someone else's life that I know, I'll just see like a group of women eating salad or something and I'll be like, don't you know what other people are going through right now? <laughs> so, <laughs> get off the elliptical. But no, you talk about the minimizers, the solutions people. Yeah, people have really... There's certainly categories of ways that people approach other people's pain, I noticed. And one very common kind of person I met was like the minimizer. And this is like a person who starts every sentence with the word, um, at least. Yeah. So like, at least you had a son. Yeah. At least you have a wonderful marriage. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) thank God. A lot of like, at least they caught it early. At least you're in this hospital. I usually get it from like the blood work nurse who notices like they've seen um, like I might have someone injecting something and like a a vein bursts and there's blood everywhere. It's like a a, it's a gross and terrible mistake. And when you're used to being in the hospital, just it's just feels like emotional dominoes. Right. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the rest of this day. And then they'll be like tidying it up and they'll be like, well, 
at least you're in a <laughs> like nope no <laughs> not today <laughs> Trina yeah at least is a very common reaction the solutions people are those who just feel like panicked that your problem seems unfixable yeah and like have you googled it sufficiently right so they'll they really want to dive into like just trying to imagine that they're going to be the one that's going to fill in the difference between the thing you need and like the deficiency you're in. And so they're just going to like throw everything at you. And those people are amazing. And sometimes they're actually the right person to be around. Like you do want the ice chips. Like you do want the slightly, you want the person who helps you think it through. But mostly it's like a social technique that people use to not feel so helpless anymore. Yeah. I've always in my own experiences like I am that I'm the solutions person and again it comes from all of our my need to control and and be helpful and take whatever I can on and it seems like the only way to be that person in this context is the ice chip person is the advocate is the, the person yeah. who's like I'm going to go get you really nice hand cream totally. and massage your hands I'm going to make yeah. sure your lips aren't chapped all that's the nice. things that don't yeah the are, caregiving ones the caregiving Those that's, are nice. that's overlooked in hospitals in particular totally I'm going to get you dry shampoo oh no you should everyone should get the good <laughs> stuff no and I don't and like some of it I can always tell when I'm getting a little like my desire to solve their problem has become absurd. Like I was in the hospital with a friend and she, I wasn't used to the friend being the one in the bed and she was having an awful time with an awful surgery. And I could hear myself being like, does everyone need coffee? Everyone needs coffee. Do you <laughs> just like very aggressively policing everybody's coffee intake? And it's just because I felt helpless yeah. and kind of dumb that there was nothing much left to do. Yeah. So I know I love in the back of the book, it's like all the things to not say to dying people, at least. In my long life, I've learned that. (laughs) It's going to get better, I promise. Yeah. God needed an angel. Oh, God needs a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. God's real focused on God's needs. God's very needy. Everything Happens for a Reason, which is obviously the name of your book. Yeah. I love um, (laughs) when the neighbor came over. To bring a casserole, and your husband's response was, oh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. It's a good response. I'd love to hear the reason my wife is dying. Yeah. There's a, it's kind of fun to call it sometimes. (laughs) It's just to be like, if there's a reason, I'd really love to hear it. Yeah. It's, we're just like swimming around in this deep desire to like, fill up other people's lives with explanations. Yeah. And usually in the midst of the absolute worst of it, people will desperately listen to you because they because they don't want to like reject you and then not get the love at the end of it. Yeah. And what they really just need you is you looking at them with love, love. in their heart. Yeah. And is there a reason or is it just is God just a mystery? Yeah. Well I was uh I did a I got the chance to talk to um uh, Christian Tomasetti, who's this uh, statistician who works on cancer, and he uh, pioneered what's called the bad luck theory in, can- in cancer, which is that insert long scientific explanation about looking at the probability of cancers in different organs and then uh, running the math on how each the frequency of the way these cells divide. So he realized that he could actually predict which kinds of cancers would, would be more prevalent based on, on math and how often uh, cells divide. And so he just looked at me and he was like, you, my dear, have just had very bad luck. And I like, I was embarrassed by the fact that I just immediately burst into tears. It felt so good to have someone just say like, you can stop 
digging for now. Yeah. You don't have to learn this part of the lesson. Yeah. And, and just like a little break from the amount of judgment. Yeah. And just to feel that like, if there is, you know, it's not that I don't believe in meaning, but I don't believe in, in divine lessons. Yeah. I don't think we're being punished so that we get it. I think that there, if, if, and when there is causality in the world, we don't always see it clearly and that we just need to be a little gentler with ourselves with the ability to draw that straight line between A and B. Yeah. I mean, going back to near death experiences and Jeffrey Long and who wrote, who, who has compiled that site, he was telling me this story which I've probably told before, so I'm sorry, but it's it really really stuck with me. He in he's an oncologist. He there was a couple, and the man they had a his he and his fiance were in a car accident. Yeah, and they had this joint near death experience where he was like they were coming out of the car together, and then in their being something came down and took her and he knew that mm. and they were separated mm. and he was sent back down mm. and before he came to he was aware that her head was on his shoulder and he knew she was gone oh. and and then of course i think he was in a coma when he he knew she was dead and and i was like well why like why would he survive and she wouldn't and yeah. he was like well her her body couldn't support life yeah yeah and i was like duh duh yeah. But yeah. it was, you yeah. know, to have this sort of nice. spiritual and yeah. biological conversation. Yeah. He was like, it's just, she just, her, she couldn't physically, her body failed. Yeah. That's a very gentle landing place. I it, like that. It is. It was, I don't, it always makes me cry to think about it, but it's so, to me, so reassuring. Again, yeah. of this, like, yeah. I don't know what yes. happens. I have my own beliefs, but that it's not, again, it goes to this, of course, yeah. we're driving these machines and we have some responsibility to them yes. and we have some totally. control and yeah. we have to honor ourselves, but mm-hmm. we can't. It is a game of math and science mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shit straws. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, that would make an amazing t-shirt. <laughs> shit straws. <laughs> yeah. But so now, like as you stand here, what, and you're, do you still consider yourself dying or are you just sort of yeah. in this perpetual, like you no. seem to be living? Yeah. What a, what a fun question. <laughs> I like that so much. I mean, we're all dying. No, no, no. I love it. I love but, everything yeah. you said. <laughs> yeah. I think, and almost right away, I was like, no one gets to call me terminal because one, terminal is when you know when you're going to die. Yeah. And two, it's just a little presumptuous. Like, yeah, we can't know too much. And I mean, the... The beautiful part about immunotherapy right now is is for me, the drugs have been working and yeah. I've had remarkable health and I hope that I will be a beautiful cyborg that will outlive every other person who once told me why I was dying. Just joking. I had no revenge disease. <laughs> I feel fine about that. But I'm sort of like off the game of predicting. Mm-hmm. I've just decided that like that's the work I can't do. Because that's the work, like, I also see it sort of just to give myself mental rest. You know, when you drive into parks and there's the sort of like Smokey the Bear thing about the probability of forest fires? Yes. So I was in like Smokey the Bear red for a very long time. And then I was in orange and then I was kind of in yellowy orange. And that's sort of where I live now. And I've decided that in that space, it's just going to take a little bit more courage to live there. Yeah. But that it will keep me wide awake yeah. to all the things worth loving. And so if I stay there, 
then I, I think I might, I think I might do okay. Yeah. And we're all as, you know, we're all living in that weird, great unknown. Yeah. That's the whole point. As as much as we want to predict, like, or understand, or I don't really want to know, but yeah, it, yeah, it is all out of our hands. Yeah. That's like the great, the great and terrible thing, the great and terrible thing. Yeah. It is, oh, this I thought was the most, and just so beautiful about grief. You write, I used to think that grief was about looking backward, old men saddled with regrets or young ones pondering should haves. I see now that it is about eyes squinting through tears into an unbearable future. The world cannot be remade by the sheer force of love. A brutal world demands capitulation to what seems impossible, separation, brokenness, an end without an ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah. it yeah. could be, it's true for all of us. Yeah. yeah. It's just, we don't acknowledge it. Yeah. And it's that work of like, like, well, what an ending feel like. And yeah. I know for some topics, it's, it's just actually not possible. Like my son is six. He, I got to hold his little hand going to kindergarten, which I was absolutely positive I would never get to do. Mm. So I've already crossed over thresholds like I never thought I'd get to see. And so I try to like make sure in those moments I've really paused to like write the story Mm. that like my life got bigger and more beautiful than I thought. But just make sure that like even though we don't always get to pick when the end is, that like we're the beauty about an ending is we get to try to write we get to try to write ourselves into the most gorgeous version of every life story. So I'm just gonna pay close attention to like how I want this one to go. Mm. Are you writing another book? I am like I just realized with that memoir that I if I don't write I'll be a terrible liar. Like uh, I will just like be a consummate liar. Like if if this were like a normal circumstance, you'd be like, "How are you?" And I'd be like, "Great, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you for asking." <laughs> I'm wonderful. So yeah, I'm I'm writing a new book about how we spend our time, mm. and I'm just thinking a lot about like how I want to live into this. And writing is the only way I know to like keep myself honest. Yeah. So I'm going to stick to it. What is that like? I mean, because I, I think we all punish ourselves. I do, certainly. Where I'm, and in the time, particularly, I have a six-year-old and I have yeah. a three-year-old, sort of the scale, right, of yeah. where am I supposed to be? And where am I supposed like, am I yeah. supposed to be inward or outward? Or Totally. And it's so exhausting. And yes. I feel like for so many women, it's just this, yes. you can't be everywhere, yet no. there's an expectation that you should be. Choices, choices. Choices, choices. And, and what yeah. gives you, like, what's the balance for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I feel like you're the only one who can tell us well, that's what to do. Honestly, exactly what I've been trying to figure out with this next book is like, these choices have, have been really painful for me. And a lot of them, I think, are wrapped into, like, if you're a woman, then what's the stuff that makes your life meaningful? Yeah. And like we both, I can already tell, don't want to like feed our kid into the hobby machine and to right. imagine that like we can live vicariously through our children's accomplishments. Yeah. <laughs> but like there's a really, there's really hard, there's always hard choices to make in a day about what's going to make life meaningful for everybody. So that's like, honestly, that's kind of what I'm in the thick of trying to figure out right now because I've made some bad Made, run some bad math on it yeah and I, I'm like living for other people being too like too inward too outward that's exactly what I'm trying to figure out right now 
Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kate Bowler. Learn more about Kate and listen to her podcast, Everything Happens, at katebowler.com. That's B-O-W-L-E-R. And I highly, highly recommend reading her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goof.com slash the podcast.